0: Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, hi, everybody. This is Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. We are coming from Galatians chapter 1 tonight. We're starting a brand new journey tonight. We just got done with uh, the the book of Genesis, and a seven-part series looking at the life of Joseph. And that was a really great series, wasn't it, Mick? Yes, it was. It really was. So many great, great moments in there and building up to a climax in, in Genesis chapter 50. Uh, if you haven't caught this series yet, I realize you're here tonight with us. We're so glad you are. And if you haven't caught this yet, please go go back in the episode list and, and check it out. It's a seven-parter called... Uh, just called Joseph. So it's, it's been really great. It's that passage, that style or genre of scripture is, is different. And uh, how would you describe the difference between what we're going to find tonight, Mick, in Galatians and
1: what we found in Genesis? Well, Galatians is essentially uh, primarily a, a lesson, whereas in, in what we did in Genesis, we're, we're extracting the, the message from the narrative. So it's different because this is not so much of a narrative, even though it has portions of narratives in there, but it really is more a straightforward teaching.
0: Yeah, Genesis, you know, we were looking at the story of Joseph, just long, you know, drawn out uh, narrative or story, chapter by chapter. Tonight, we're just going to have the first chapter of an epistle. An epistle was a letter written from an apostle to an area or to a church Churches in that area, and we have a wonderful children's ministry in the background, and it's great stuff, great stuff. All right, so we are going to be in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, we haven't even entitled this series yet, so maybe we'll find one along the way. We are going to spend some time doing some wonderful biblical theology uh, through these New Testament epistles. We're going to start in Galatians, and we're going to go... Right to Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, then we're going to be in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. It's going to be a great journey. It's going to take us from now to the end of the summer. Uh, But before we sally forth here, let me open up in a word of prayer, then we'll go. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word and for this letter that Paul wrote to churches in Galatia. And it wasn't written to us, but it's been preserved for us. And so we have this great opportunity to go verse by verse of this book and see the wonderful things you have to teach us. And I'm just I'm grateful for my my friend Mick and uh for this journey we get to have this conversation we get to have tonight. We pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Galatians 1. Uh it's, but you know what before we start reading here, I guess um I guess I'll read ver- verse 1 and verse 2 just to get us started here. Paul an apostle set not from men nor by a man but by Jesus Christ and God the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in galatia. So, want to just pause there, just by way of introduction. Uh what's really big what's really good to do when you start a book of the bible is is just kind of get the lay of the land here. Uh so, Mick, who's the author here? The author is
1: he has identified himself as Paul, the apostle. You
0: know, we know theologically speaking that scripture is is God breathed so that the, the Holy Spirit ultimately is the author here, but he is inspiring Paul. So uh, there are some who debate that and more on the theologically liberal spectrum, but yeah, it's pretty much agreed Paul yeah. and he, he names himself and is Paul, the apostle. Yeah. Uh, where uh, do, do you have any, any ideas make uh, in your studies where Paul was at? Sometimes we, we know where Paul generally was at when he wrote this other, other epistles, he was in prison, and so do we have any idea? Uh, were you able to find anything in terms of where Paul is when he's writing this? I'm not a
1: hundred percent certain. This is a period in his life where he, um, I believe, he may have been even in Jer- on his way to Jerusalem. Not there. He probably was in Tarsus when he wrote this. Um, and and my my understanding from the research that I did is that. He was probably in Tarsus and not very long before getting to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council. Mm. Um, and, well, I don't, I'm trying not to get too ahead at this point, but yeah. I, I think he might have been in in, in the region of, of Tarsus at this point. Yeah, maybe even Antioch, to be honest. Right. Uh, you know, there, there's two general theories about,
0: about the book of Galatians. Either Paul wrote it before the Jerusalem Council, and the Jerusalem Council... Think of that as around AD fifty. That that's you'll yeah. find that in Acts chapter fifteen. Yeah, and uh, so there there are there are like half the scholars or a good chunk of scholars say no 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 this was before the Jerusalem Council and if that's the case Paul might have been in Ephesus, uh, Galatians then might have been written at the same time Romans is written, um, but those who are saying you know the the other half argue that the the Jerusalem Council is actually Galatians chapter two. Mm-hmm. And so then they're saying that this is right around or just after the council so that would place this at uh, if it's before it'd be like AD 48 maybe and this would be AD 53 or 54 mm-hmm. um I if you made me guess I would say it's after and it's that would place this around AD 53 so that'd be yeah. you know 20 years or so 20 plus years after Christ ascended and so that is so that would put it on one of the missionary journeys he, he could have written it from Jerusalem we don't know. It's not that important. Um, what is important is so that we kind of answer the when question too. But to whom is
1: this written? To the, to the people, uh, I believe it's written primarily to the people in, 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 in South Galatia, so to speak. Um, and I, these are more uh, what are generally called the, the providential Galatians. In other words, it's the province of Galatia. So these are some of the Galatians that are down there. Uh, the north was known more as the ethnic Galatians. Mm. So, but I, I think this is primarily directed to the the, the southern portion of Galatia.
0: Yeah. So, if you, if you're if you're thinking of a map, um, if if you're thinking of like Asia Minor or modern day Turkey, yeah, right. the churches that were written to by John in Revelation, those are all kind of on the the, the western coast. Those yeah. those are you know going up the west side, kind of by the Mediterranean. So these would be ones. Far inland, east east, east of those uh, those seven cities, large by and large that that John wrote to in Revelation. So these are the ones kind of in the central area, mm-hmm. central south area of or south central. How about that? <laughs> south Central Asia Minor. A lot of these places. So this would be on the road from those th- those Revelation cities going towards um, going towards uh, Israel, but uh, on the path there. But yeah, a lot of these places are. You know they're, they're not as you know as famous as the other places, but mm-hmm. so, there, so Paul just kind of writes to a general area yeah and to a geographical location, so um, the Roman province of Galatia. so that kind of answers our introduction here. Let's just go back into verse one. I'll read it again. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. so make
1: what's the nature of Paul's apostolic authority? Oh, he's getting his apostolic authority directly from God. I mean, he's getting it directly from Jesus. You know, for for most of us familiar with the story of, of Paul, we we know that he is known formerly as Saul of Tarsus. He was on the road to Damascus uh, on a mission that he perceived was from God, only to realize that he was actually going against God, and Jesus confronted him in a very. Uh, spectacular and supernatural way this is the resurrected jesus confronting him but unlike the original apostles he's seen the glorified jesus right off the bat
0: yeah that would be the risen exalted and ascended
1: lord he says so he was he'd already
0: ascended to heaven at that point yes. that was acts one right yes. around that time and yes. this is later on yeah so 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 uh, as a great point there make about you know who, who i mean you agree with paul that It was Jesus himself. So that, that, by the way, is anyone who calls himself an apostle, the early church looked at it as you had to be directly commissioned. The word apostle is apostolos, which Mm -hmm. means a sent one. And it was like a a, a messenger firmly commissioned by a king or by a ruler to speak in their name. And so the early church recognized apostles as somebody that Jesus literally commissioned. So... The only way Paul could call himself an apostolos, is if he had and be accepted by the church, mm-hmm. was if Jesus himself had done. So that yeah. was why it was integral in yeah. the Book of Acts that yeah. Jesus actually
1: literally did. and, oh, yeah. so, and, and, and I'm going to just kind of—I know this is getting ahead a bit—but right off the bat, we know that he is, he really was accepted as an apostle because when we did our series on Peter, mm. Peter name drops Paul. Yeah,
0: in that in that light. And we're going to see some moments between Peter and Paul or at least one good one. Yeah. And they're going to, he's going to mention Peter. Um, so I guess the question is big because, because Paul's going to come onto the scene here and Galatians is a, a, an epistle that is confronting, mm-hmm. like he's going to confront an issue here. Yeah. And so it's going to beg a question, like by what authority are you confronting us? You know? Right. And so I guess if you're challenging Paul, that means you're challenging who, Mick? You're, you're challenging Jesus himself. Right. And so you so for for Paul to call himself here set not from men. Yeah. So this is not like okay, he was commissioned by a council right. or by a man like, you know, maybe he made friends with Peter or James and, right. and they said, "Yeah, you're one of us now." Yeah. But literally by Jesus. Right. And so if you're going to have issue with Paul's words, you're really having issue with Jesus himself. Right. And so and he has here in verse 2 um so we're going from 2 to 5 now. So and all the brothers and sisters with me, so It's Paul is writing and there's others with him and and they're journeying with him Uh, to the churches in Galatia. We spoke of that. And then he says here in verse three, we're going three to five, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God, the father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Well, Mick, in a theological sense, because he uses this greeting here and, yeah. and, and scholars have said, well, you know, it's like hydrate and shalom. The idea of, 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 of the Greek greeting is like the grace, hydrate and the, the Hebrew greeting. We, we, we know Jews, you, you have a Jewish friend, you might tell him shalom or something. So he's telling, he was given a, a grace and a peace, but that's actually a really great theological point he's yeah. making
1: here. For, in a theological sense, how does grace lead to peace? Well, let me start off by saying this. He could have just as easily written, written and said shalom and grace, and he doesn't. Again, because there is a theological order here. And I'm actually going to start by explaining what shalom is. Shalom, more than peace, more than... When people think about peace, they think about the absence of war. But the, the concept of shalom is, is much more profound than that. Beyond peace and, yes, the absence of war, it really is also about harmony, mm. wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. And I'm going to tell you this. You could get this off of the Wikipedia search. That's just the basic Wikipedia. If I went to a theological dictionary, it would even be more profound than that. But even just with that, in other words, in order to have this, that God is God's shalom, you you have to have grace. Mm. You have to have that unmerited favor from God. Mm. You know, you know, basically you're getting something that we didn't deserve. It is free it is completely unearned. It is completely unmerited. Amen. I mean, it's completely God's doing that redefines our relationship. And thus, because grace comes first, because grace precedes it, now we can have shalom.
0: Mm. That's
1: beautiful. Yeah, we're going to find that out later when we get to our next
0: book in Ephesians chapter 2. It's by grace you're saved. Mm-hmm. And so we got to have that grace, although yeah. my salvation is never going to
1: happen. And with Galatians being the first book, you see that there is a consistency in mm. this theology you know, it, it, none of these points that are brought up in the book of Galatians, which we believe to be Paul's first epistle, in, in, in Paul's oldest writing, are going to be contradicted by any of the other epistles he writes. If anything, they're all going to corroborate and build on whatever he wrote here. And we see
0: here in the very next line, amen to that, we see here in the very next line this very gospel. It's in kind of like in three sentences mm-hmm. here in all in one verse. Yeah. So number 1, so speaking of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins yep. to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. So in what three ways does Paul unpack the gospel here, Professor D?
1: Well, three ways that that, that he unpacks the gospel. First of all, he makes it clear that that it that the cross, the message of the cross is the centerpiece of all of this. Mm. You know, we cannot ignore the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus is essential to the gospel. That substitutionary atonement uh, that, that of Jesus, I mean, we can't do without it. And it's huge because it, it shows you that we are saved by grace through faith. Okay, mm. and again, the idea of this is that it is nothing that we did that to earn it. It is not something that we merited in any shape, way, or form. You know, and 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 the third thing is that that the gospel also empowers us believers, um, to to be saved this very moment. We're mm-hmm. saved right now. It's not our salvation is not something yet to come. Our salvation is right here, right now, mm-hmm. because of everything Jesus did already.
0: In fact, in fact, theologians would would even call it not just substitutionary atonement but it's a, it's a big word here, but you're, you're listening to masterclass theology so at times we get big big theological words penal substitutionary yes. atonement so the idea that that Jesus actually died not only in place of sinners and, and accomplishing atonement but it was actually punished in our place yeah like there was something that he received a punishment and he bore God's wrath in yes. our place so there was not just a substitute but actually a substitute of with a penalty involved, yeah. and that he bore a penalty. Any other thoughts on the uh, as the gospel is unpacked in verse four and, and verse five? Oh, all right. The, the three things here.
1: I, yeah, I, I I kind of interrupted your flow there. No, right? Well, that that was it. basically the, the substitutionary cross, mm. which is the heart of the gospel. That we are saved by get grace. Again, the idea that it has nothing to do with us our salvation, other than we are the recipients of it, and that the gospel allows for us to, to have that shalom that we were talking about earlier with God right now. Right now, anyone who has, has placed their trust in Jesus, right now we are in a state of shalom with God, mm. in spite of the fact that we still wrestle with sins. you know And I, I like the way that somebody once put it, we're not sinless, but as a result of this relationship, of this dynamic, we sin less. Awesome. And I really
0: like in verse 5 the reminder that because we have this We have this peace between God and this peace, mm-hmm. God giving us grace, extending yeah. to us grace and accomplishing our peace, it, it gives God glory. Yeah. At the end of the day, so if you ever sit back and listen like, why has life planned out the way it has? Why, yeah. why has God's will been so much pain, so much brokenness in my life, all these things? And why have I gone through so much? Well, at the end of the day, verse five, yeah. God is going to be glorified forever and ever. The way his decree unfolds in an ultimate sense, yeah. is going to give him glory. Yeah.
1: And it's not a cheap answer. Right. And, and people who do biblical theology, they've pretty much unpacked that the whole point of all the scripture, what is between Genesis through Revelation, is about the glory of God. Mm. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God. What ultimately brings him the greatest glory. So we, we, amen.
0: And that's, that's how verse five just ends. Just amen. Yeah. Let it be. <laughs> yeah. So moving on to verse six here, and just verse six, uh, Paul writes, I am astonished. So he kind of goes to, uh, well, here it is. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. My goodness, mate, what at the outset does this epistle design to do?
1: Well, you know, here's the thing with, with that astonished in there. That astonished could have gone one way or another. It could have gone <laughs> positive or negative. <laughs> and right off the bat, he goes for the judgment. <laughs> Whew, because this, this, he's coming hard here. I mean, he's coming hard. The gospel. he Right now, the whole goal of this epistle is to emphatically, in no uncertain terms, make clear that there is only one true gospel. I, I mean, you shouldn't even need to use the word true. There's only one gospel. If it's not that gospel, it's not the gospel at all. Mm. Period. Exclamation point. In fact, yeah, exactly. And, and, and
0: to echo that point here, it, it, Paul just says, okay, turning to a different gospel. Now, verse 7, mm-hmm. which is really no gospel at all. Yeah, Evidently, some people are throwing, he writes here, evidently, mm-hmm. some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ.
1: So what is at stake here? What's at stake here, my friend, is the fate of the multiverse. No, um, hmm. seriously, what, what is at, fate, <laughs> at stake here? Is To, to watch out for, for those who would, you know, the word it uses is distort, twist. Mm. The good news, because once you twist it, it stops being good news. I think it's it's helpful to understand here wow. some of the things that they're dealing with in first century uh, Palestine. Uh, it, it's it it is a time you know they've been a conquered people, the Israelites, the Jews. Um, they've had the the Greeks. I mean, I, it even goes before the Greeks, but I'm going to start from the Greeks to to the, with the Romans during the whole Maccabean Revolt period. One of the things that has happened in Israel is that they've gotten so splintered between sectarianism, uh, they're competing with each other for, they're all vying for for different powers of different groups in Israel. You know, you got Mm. got the Essenes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, you know, ABCs, you know, you name them. There's all these groups vying for for prominence at this point because they all want to be, you know, that. And and I think there's a message here, you know, if you read uh, against nationalism, tribalism uh, as worldviews, But what's at stake here really is the integrity and the uniqueness of the gospel message. Mm.
0: Amen. So verses 8 to 10, so he continues. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be, I guess the Greek is anathema, let them be under God's curse. Mm -hmm. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, Let them be under God's curse. Mm. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ.
1: Wow. That's very telling.
0: Wow. So, Mick, does Paul make a case for harmony in the midst of religious pluralism? Oh,
1: absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) No. You would say, what? No. Not when it's dangerous like this. You can't. You can't compromise something like this. You can't harmonize A and not A. Right. I mean, (laughs) those are opposites. You know, I mean, you can compromise things like taste great and less filling, but you you can't do that with the gospel. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you know what? And I'm not not
0: intending to pick on any other quasi-Christian faiths out there. But there's at least one big one that claims that an angel came down and spoke different Uh, gospels. And that just happens to literally be called out here. And even if we or
1: an angel from heaven mm-hmm. should preach a gospel. So I'm just saying. I mean, I like the fact that he's, he's including himself in this. Yeah. He says, if I come back to you with a different line, right? may I be damned. Yeah, exactly. Uh, may, may I be under God's curse. I mean, and then by, by, by bringing in the angels, I mean, basically he's making it clear that it doesn't matter who it's from. Because he'll say, okay, well, you may consider me a small fry. Okay, we consider angels a big deal. And especially in the first century, they, they had a high regard of angels. Don't believe me? Look at the book of Hebrews. There's, there's a reason why there's that big big section there about mm-hmm. angels. Angels were a, a very big deal. So he's saying even if an angel comes, I mean, this is a big deal. From the throne of God himself.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, and an angel is the one, you know, John, the apostle John was caught up in a vision. Mm-hmm. And he started speaking. Angels were leading him yeah. along, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So if you hear any other gospel, it, it ain't the gospel anymore. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, this is, this is huge. So I I, thank you for that, that strong answer to, to, of an, of an answer being no, we, we can't harmonize when it comes to cardinal issues. You can't harmonize. No, you can't. There's no, um, well, what kinds of compromises are the inevitable result of tolerance, Mick?
1: Ultimately it's a denial for the need of, of, of God himself as our sole savior, um, it's false, and we have no real sense of eternal security then. Mm. Because all of a sudden now, if it depends on other things, and we know that everything else in life is so, so unreliable, I need it to depend on God. He's the only reliable person out there. You know, temptation is to say thing, but I don't, I don't want to ever call God a thing. You know? Yeah. He's the only reliable person. Nothing. And no one is reliable like God is.
0: Yeah I think verse 10 really gets at a heart issue because there's a number of us listening to this podcast right now who are tempted to compromise in order to not make waves in our families yeah. in order to maybe please other people. Yeah. And and he literally puts it out here. Yeah. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Yeah. I mean, and that that seems like a a silly question. Well, of course I'm trying to win God's approval. It's like I picture like all the world's a stage and I'm but the actor. If I'm mm-hmm. on stage acting then, yeah, God's in the audience. He's the only one in the audience, mm-hmm. not other people. So if, if I'm trying to win the approval of other people, I may just compromise my convictions mm-hmm. because I don't want to appear as, I don't know, intolerant or uncaring yeah. or, I don't know, people, will, just whatever name or label they want to put me in a box. It's like, but no, he's not trying. It's like the the compassionate Christian, our our society tells us that the compassionate Christian must compromise convictions. A lot of C words there. Yeah, But... There's nothing to compromise here. No. It, it's it's either you're preaching the gospel or you're not preaching the gospel. Yeah. It, there's
1: just no... It's either good news or it's not. Yeah.
0: And, and, and the good news is that I'm a sinner and I have no answer for myself. That's actually the bad news. But the good news is, is, that, is that in Christ, there's there's now grace. Yeah. God's provided that answer. So if, if, in, if in any way I am my own answer or any of my works or any of the righteousness I can do can accomplish this, it's not the good news of grace anymore. Right. And I think that's going to be part of the tension here today.
1: Right. And so, and, you yeah. look, it goes back to the cross of Jesus. I need the cross of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Nothing but the cross of Jesus. You know, the, the, the song goes, nothing but the blood of Jesus, but the blood blood was shed on that cross. Mm-hmm. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the cross of Jesus. And so I wanted to kind of put give
0: give Professor D a chance to catch his breath for a second. I, I wanted to give kind of a brief segue because if we look at, we're going to look at verses 11, 11 and 12 here in a couple seconds. And Paul's going to use language he's used before. I um, mean there's a similarity here with uh, in 1 Corinthians around chapter 15, Paul's gonna say, say the similar thing um, that I've received something, I'm gonna give it to you. Mm-hmm. And we have we have two churches in two extremes. The church in Corinth and here the church in Galatia. And the church in Corinth, their big issue was they were tempted to take something away from the gospel. And what they were tempted to take away from the gospel, you see in chapter 15. Paul reminds them that some of you are preaching that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So Mm. they're taking away the the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Whether that was Greek, Hellenistic, philosophical thought meandering in there, I don't know. Corinth had its own issues and they were really full of themselves. But some of them are trying to take away something from the gospel. And that's one extreme. The other extreme is something that we're going to see with the Galatian churches. Mm. They were wanting to add something to the gospel. Yeah. And in their case, we don't want to give too big of a spoiler alert, they were going to add elements of Judaism to the yes. gospel. That you got to basically embrace Moses to truly embrace Jesus. Yeah. And so the Galatian church was taking away the resurrection or tempted to, and Paul had to come in and say, hey, this is, he had to really affirm, no, Jesus did rise from the dead, and he appeared to Cephas, and he appeared to all these apostles. And and so he appeared to how many hundreds or thousands? And so, and here the Galatian church is the other extreme. They want to add something to the yeah. gospel. And in both cases. Yeah, it's almost like they're, they're trying to hedge their bets here. Yeah. And, and, and that's just not biblical. So 11 to 17, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now 13 to 17. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. So Mick, what lesson does Paul teach us here about using
1: one's own story? All of our stories are witnessing opportunities. In the hands of God, they are witnessing tools. All of our stories. Yeah, one of
0: the greatest blessings of life is if... um, I know as a care pastor, one one of my one of my lines is people with wounds listen to people with scars, mm-hmm. and as as you as as your <laughs> as God used your story, your wounds will turn into scars. But to be able to see your story used by God for His glory, yeah. that's one of the best feelings that we will ever experience. Well, on
1: celebrate recovery, we, we we like to use you know God takes our mess and he, and He turns it into a message. Mm,
0: beautiful, yeah. So right, I mean Paul's story is pretty messy if you really think about it, and as as when we land the plane at the very end tonight, we're going to see what what they're going to say about mm-hmm. Paul's story. But the story is messy. You can imagine a lot of people being terrified of Paul. Mm-hmm. If you read in Acts what Paul was up to before Jesus got a hold of him, I can't imagine anybody wanted to hear the gospel preached by him. Mm. And he they, they're probably going to be afraid that he's going to you know throw us into shackles and put us in in, in prison of some sort yeah. or, or kill us or what? He, my goodness. Yeah. But his story was able to be used for God's glory, and he didn't run away from his story. No. He didn't try to hide his story. He wasn't pushing it to the side or giving it the Heisman pose or something. No, he's he's embracing what God has done. Yeah. He saw that God had called him. Man, that's just like a Jeremiah, you
1: know. Before, yeah, I know that's exactly what I was going to say. Or he, it's even a Jeremiah moment, right? There.
0: Even like where you you called me from my mother's womb, or an idea of. Of even like a Psalm one thirty nine where you I'm I fearfully and wonderfully made yeah. knit, knit together in my mother's womb all the days ordained for me were written down it's like yeah before one of them ever ever came to be it's almost like as Paul would write in Romans nine about Jacob and Esau about how before anything they had done he had called one mm-hmm. instead of the other it's like it's like yeah
1: and that's the thing you, you God's see, not surprised here at Paul's story no and again you're gonna see these things pop up in his other epistles. Mm. You know, you're going to see these developed. You know, here we're getting kind of a quick snapshot of yeah. things, but we're going to see this the more fully fleshed out, especially I think in Romans. So we got three quick
0: questions here about this section. I'm a, Mick. I'm going to give them to you, Mick. First of all, how does Paul picture himself before his conversion?
1: Oh well, well he was a rising star in Judaism. He was he was like the the next best thing. He, he was this mm. hotshot. He was on a fast track. Mm. He'll boast about this later in other books that, that he was trained by, by a very prominent rabbi who's known outside of the Bible by the name of Gamaliel. You know, he, he was a big deal. I mean, and, and you know, he, he he was on a fast track to stardom, but he was also this zealot. So basically, if you want to think about it in modern day terms, he, he was a jihadist. He was, he was a jihadist. Was sold out. He was so sincere, but man, he couldn't also be so wrong either.
0: Amen. How does Paul picture his his encounter with Christ? Oh Jesus
1: Jesus, it's a complete about face. Night and day difference. He went from being the guy who killed the church to the guy who's who's recruiting people for the church, trying to get people into the church. Building the church. Yeah. I mean planting churches. In the in the gentile world, it's yeah. like
0: we as Gentiles, oh, yeah, and are, that, yeah, that's we're, true. we're Christians
1: because of Paul, yeah. I mean, because of, I mean, I, I, and I think that, that's taking a, nothing from God. And, I mean, that, that is God's sense of humor because he's taking the most Jewish guy, <laughs> he's taking the guy who's King Yiddish, <laughs> and he turns him into the guy for the Gentiles. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, anybody who doubts God's sense of humor, you got to read the Bible better.
0: This is amazing yeah. all right so i asked how does Paul picture himself before his conversion in these verses his encounter with Christ, and now, how does Paul picture himself after God called him well
1: again he the complete so now he's the apostle to the Gentiles, again mm-hmm. for being the Jew of Jews, he's now the apostle to the Gentiles. What do you think about his his trip
0: into Arabia He said I did not in verse seventeen. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Because we would expect that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We would expect him having his, you know, come to Jesus moment. In fact, a literal come to Jesus. Or Jesus came to him, of all things. and, and, And here he is. We would expect him to go, oh my goodness, I am such a noob. I better go find guys who are better than me. Let me go talk to the big fisherman himself. Yeah. Let me go talk to, you know, maybe uh, any other, there's a John, maybe there's a James. Mm-hmm. Let me go talk to one of these guys that I was maybe, eventually maybe trying to hunt down. I don't know. Yeah. Let me go talk to them. Let me get everything brushed aside, make everything figured out. And instead, yeah. he goes to Arabia.
1: He stresses, again, the whole thing about that. It, this, I'm not getting this gospel from, from anybody. Mm. This is not from, from human origin or human agency or human source. You know, this is completely from God. So God. Jesus confronts him. He talks to him. Okay? Jesus calls him directly. And from, you know, when we look at, uh, is it uh, Acts chapter 9, where we have Paul's story, we see the things. So we see some of the story. And that's the other thing. When we're doing this, we also have to kind of read some of these uh, Acts narratives to kind of get mm. some of the fill in the blank, so to speak. So Ananias, you know, God tells him things. Ananias is kind of like the one guy who can actually vouch for Paul. You know, like, yeah, this is legit. He's definitely getting this from God because God came to me just to tell me that I'm going to give it to, 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 to this Saul at this point. He was still called Saul in those uh, early chapters of uh, Acts. And, uh, and he's letting him know that. And the thing with, with him is that he hits the ground running. Mm. kind of reminds me a little bit of the Samaritan woman when we were doing the, uh, the, the New Creation series and we were talking about the changed lives. He, you know the difference between Saul of Tarsus and the Samaritan woman is that the Samaritan woman didn't know her theology. Saul already knew the theology, even though he had it wrong. All he needed was that that last thing that makes it all fit together, right? And he got and he got it. So he already had a lot of that information learned and known. And Jesus redeems that knowledge that he had given this former superstar Jew of Jews. I think this also shows a value
0: of. A retreat, mm-hmm. a getaway, and he went. He went off. We don't know what happened in Arabia. Yeah, he's off by himself. We kind of picture him in like in going into the wilderness moment. Yeah. Um, we we just kind of picture him off by himself with the Lord, like a just like a spiritual retreat. We don't know what happened then. We don't know if this was like, um, I don't know, Elijah where angels ministered mm-hmm. to him. or We don't know if this was like Moses yeah. where he, but he spent how many years, 40 years as a shepherd out yeah. in the wilderness before God called him back to Egypt. Right. I mean, the God's, God's A-team, God's greats kind of have those moments where they're, they're, they're off in a yeah. retreat setting. Even Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry spent 40 days in the wilderness. Right. You know, where he was tempted. He was fasting and praying. Yeah. I mean, this is, I see here a great value of, you know what? Before anybody else speaks into me and my story and mm-hmm. me in this gospel, I'm going to get away with God. Again, yeah. just just go and have a retreat and just go and just be away. He just went by himself, and we don't really know more about that.
1: But I think the one thing that's very clear is that God is, Jesus is already directly working with him, mm. you know. So he makes the physical appearance to him in, in that ascended glorious mm. way and we know simply by sheer virtue of the fact that he wrote 24 percent of what is the new testament mm. that god was already in communication with him so it also stresses the fact that he didn't really need to consult with any of the other apostles per se and get their validation because he was getting it directly from right. jesus
0: and god if i was paul i realize i'm not but how would i use my arabian time i think since I since I that would make me a former Pharisee, mm-hmm. I would then knowing the answer that I think now now that I know the answer, I think I would want to go figure out the question. Mm-hmm. So I think if I was Paul at that time, I would go off into Arabia, yeah. and I would have every Old Testament scroll in my possession, yeah, and I would then go and search the scriptures for three years, yeah, and I would look for the Messiah and yeah. I would see okay, is this true? I know it's true because Jesus has spoken to yeah. me. He's risen, so he's obviously God. So okay. All these things they've been saying about the Christ, the Messiah, is true. But now I want to get... Fr- so we, we we later find Paul arguing in synagogues. Mm-hmm. We later find Paul debating people and debating fellow yeah. Jews. Or, like, hold on here. And so I think this is a time for Paul to really get grounded in the Word. And yeah. grounded in the Christological sense of the Old Testament. Yeah. And really grounded in the grand narrative of Christ. Yeah. And, and, and especially... As, you know, prophecy and then fulfillment. You know, I
1: think this would be a great opportunity by you, himself to do that. You saying that kind of got me thinking about, you know, he was probably now, I got to sort what was actually the Tanakh from what was the Midrash of the time. Yeah. You know, and yeah, sort all that stuff out. Get off by himself, go out, at, you know,
0: like a hermit and just go study. Yeah. and. I think that would be that. That from some of us listening to that sounds like a dream. Yeah. To get off and just go, you know, go go tackle your stack of un- unread books that you want to read. Um. Yeah. But then later he returned to Damascus. So back to the, he probably could have checked in with Ananias again, mm-hmm. the the original one who God used to open up his eyes. All right. Well, that that's a, that's great stuff here, man. Yeah. Really All right. 18 to 24. We're gonna bring this home. Then after three years. So evidently, this Arabia plus Damascus, because he says later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, so it took him three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, and the Cephas is is as like Kephi is the Aramaic term for Peter, mm-hmm. and and stayed with him for fifteen days. I like how specific he was there. Yeah, he's like I'm not staying with him for a you know a, a summer. You know, yeah. okay, I saw none of the other apostles, but only James, the Lord's brother, and we we know him from the the epistle. Of written with Mm -hmm. his name, James, okay? The Lord's brother, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lies. It's almost like he's giving a vow here. Okay. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. So these would be, Cilicia would be the Roman province just east of Galatia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Yeah. Wow. That's a tombstone line right there, yep. and they praise God because of me. Wow. So, Professor D, what does Paul accomplish by his report of time with Peter and James?
1: I think the big thing there was was more of a a, a meet and greet thing in Acts chapter nine. Again, he he's established that I don't need people to validate I, my validation comes from Jesus himself. So I think this was just more you know touching base with these guys more than anything, and you know. And that was pretty much about the long and short of that, you know. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I really think that that it was. Though he did not get trained by them, mm-hmm. I think it only bolsters his case to get their imprimatur. Or well, obviously, they didn't
1: speak against him. They didn't
0: shun him. They didn't they go. Didn't shun they didn't you know throw him into you know in any kind of a ecclesiastical quandary or something. Yeah. I mean, it, it it only works well for Paul. To not so much get them on his side, but to be, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like we're all going to be running together at this yeah. point. And that only it's, but n- not going there immediately yeah. as in, okay, did I do okay, you know, my yeah. brothers? Would you tell me what I did wrong? No, he went there eventually. But I think it's good for him. And I think he he accomplishes some good harmony there. Yeah. Even though, uh, the good kind of harmony. Not right. the harmony we're harmonizing with, you know, <laughs> with. with That the, musical. Yeah. All right, and then uh, also, how did Paul's personal story highlight the
1: transformative work of the gospel that he preached? They saw the, the the before and after story. You know, that was kind of one of the big things that we were emphasizing with our whole uh, new creation series. The the before and after story of, of people who, who truly are saved. The very one who could say
0: grace and peace, mm-hmm. he's literally the walking example of what grace can do yep what grace did do and the peace that it brought if God can make peace between a Paul and him yeah by his grace yeah that's powerful so now he's now now he's preaching a transformative gospel and he's literally the, the object lesson yeah he's become the poster child of what he's preaching mm-hmm. so there there's the, the hypocrite doesn't practice what he preaches no. Paul literally lives what he preaches yeah. he, he, he is the the going example People look at him and go, "Well, dang!" Especially if they if they were if they were Jewish Christians listening to him, they would want to support that ministry. They'd want to come right. along that ministry. They'd want to agree with him, you know, and, and you know, and listen to him, and be encouraged and edified by him because he is literally living that transformative life that the gospel brings. Yeah. Well, what a great first chapter! So much to unpack here. And Mick, I want to give you an opportunity. You, you go ahead and land the plane first here. Any concluding thoughts with Galatians chapter 1? What do you want our listeners to bring home especially? I mean,
1: the big thing is that we can't compromise the gospel message. You know, I'm not, I'm not even going to put my, my, my two cents in there. I'm, I'm going to let, let the, the, the text speak for itself. We can't compromise the gospel message. If, if you're getting a, a different message, you know, big damn there. Big damn. Mm-hmm. you know we have to stick to what what the gospel is and we have to always keep it centered on God and Christ it's about what God and Jesus have done in our lives it's about his salvation for us mm-hmm. you know and i think that I, that is that is key for for everything else that follows in 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 the walk of a christian because it, it's the difference between the human perspective versus god's perspective on things and we need god's perspective on things not our own and the
0: easiest way is to compromise would mm-hmm. be be to do those extremes. We talked about adding yeah. something or taking something away or, um, and and the motivation of that is yeah. I want to please man rather than pleasing right. God. And when we when when we when we try to please others before God, what we're really doing is making an idol out of the fear of man. Right. We're really saying, I really fear m- my friends or coworkers, their opinion of me, more than I have a healthy fear of God. Yeah. And yeah, that, don't compromise. There's a lot of stake here, isn't there, mate? Yeah. Yeah, and for me I, I I just I didn't really have anything coming into this how to land the plan. There's just so much here. I just I really love I really love this idea. It means a lot to me. Um, whenever I can see the broken mess that is my story mm-hmm. when God uses that broken mess, yeah, and he redeems it, and he uses it and he has redeemed it, but then he uses that story for his glory. Yeah. And I really love how Paul was willing to see his own story that way and he embraced that. The ten, the the living tension that he is,
1: yeah. and
0: that God would use that story for His, for 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 God's glory, and that Paul got to be a part of that process. I really think that's a great perspective to have, where some of us have past that we, that we have either run ran from, or we are past that we're ashamed of, or we, we think that God can't use our stories and yeah. He can't use us. And we and I know that's what Satan would love to tell us that you know God can't use you, so I even try. Yeah. But the fact that God is, well, back to verse five, to him, to him be glo- for gl- to him to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. And verse twenty-four, Paul was a was was a walking mess that God cleaned and made a message out of that. I like that, t- turning a mess into a message. Yeah, Paul was that walking message. And verse twenty-four ought to just nurture our hearts. Yeah. and they praised God because of me. Yeah, even me. Even with my story, God was able to be glorified and and to be able to praise god so it's just may that encourage you as you as you look back at your life and see whatever mess you you you've come out of and that God is a god who gives grace to people who are undeserving yeah and God is a God who gives peace to people who are once his enemies yeah. and we, and and he is praised because of you and me yeah. When we don't compromise. Right. When we live what God, God's gospel, we preach God's gospel, we live God's gospel, and when we stay true to God. Mm-hmm. And He is praised because of us. What a great first chapter. And I'm so glad to be here with you. Uh, join us next week for chapter, for our next section of, of Galatians. And as always, this is Big Rev. This is Professor D. God bless and have a good night. And amen this has been masterclass theology i pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode and i hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the bible god bless